Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Boy, did I make a big mistake. Have you ever said those words? Yeah, you look at your, your life and, and what's going on and say, boy, did I make a huge mistake. And uh, I'm, I'm not talking about the kinds of mistakes where we, you know, made a wrong turn in, in our car, or oh, that could be a huge mistake. Uh, I'm talking about the kind of mistakes that we make in life that affect our lives, affect the lives of the others around us, the people that we have relationships with. And very often the mistakes I'm talking about, there is a, a, a connection with sin. Now, I, I need to say that all of the big mistakes we make in life, you know, the, the sometimes big mistakes aren't necessarily sin. Sometimes it's just a lack of understanding, right? Something we didn't know, something we misunderstood, and we make a, a big mistake and there are big ramifications for it. But, but always, let me say this though, that sin is always a mistake, <laughs> right? When we do something that we know we ought not to do, we allow something into our lives that ought not to be there, we make decisions that we really knew were wrong, or we just tried to somehow or other not make decisions we knew that we were supposed to make, however that works, and, and it, that's always a mistake. But it can be sin and mistake, right? But sometimes it's not necessarily sin, sometimes it's just we don't know. We don't know what we need to know to, to make the, the right kinds of decisions. Um, <clears throat> but the mistakes that we make the bigger they are and the deeper they run in our lives, the bigger problem it creates for us and for everybody that we have a relationship with. And so I'm thinking about the kinds of mistakes that we make, say, maybe in the area of finances where we, we don't manage our money well, maybe we don't even think about it, you know, and we find ourselves in debt, with, with debt that we really can't afford to pay and we have to start making decisions about what not to you know, give money to or do with our monies. And, or maybe it's just we don't do too bad, but we don't really think ahead, and so we, you know, we don't plan for this big expense that's coming up, right? And that was a mistake. <laughs> and then you have this problem, what do I do now? You know, the car is broken down, you don't have money to fix it. Uh, whatever, financial decisions and mistakes we make. And like I said, sometimes it's because we've been selfish, we've had the wrong values, we've made the wrong choices, we've made sinful choices maybe. Uh, but we haven't managed our money well. By the way, let me, I'm just going to stop here and just give you a quick plug. Let me encourage you, if you've never taken Financial Peace University, to look at your schedule and try to figure, is there some way I can take Financial Peace University for nine weeks on Thursday nights, starting in, in a week and a half, and talk to the folks out there at the table. It's a great course. really helps you to learn the things you need to know to avoid some mistakes. But so financial mistakes. There's, there's uh, mistakes related to our marriage. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, should I marry? Is it time to marry? Or who should I marry? 
Or once I'm married, you know, how do I handle this situation? How do I respond? And, and sometimes we respond in ways that are hurtful and do greater damage and prolong the problems and make the problems bigger. We, we make mistakes in how we handle those things. And sometimes we get to the place where we have bitterness and hurt and, and we've poisoned so many things. It's hard to even figure out how do we get out of this and go forward. And then sometimes we make some really bad mistakes doing when we try to figure that out. And only gets worse in our lives. Parenting mistakes. You know, how do we raise our children? What standards do we hold to? Where do we need to let go? Uh, are we engaged enough? Or are we engaged too much? You can be too much engaged as a parent, right? You know, uh, have I supported enough? Or am I too supportive? And all these things, and sometimes we make mistakes, and sometimes those mistakes have a root in sin because sometimes we're doing those things really not for our kid, but we're doing it for us so we'll feel better about something. I mean, that's bad, right? But those mistakes compound, compound to the point to where our children, and this is inevitable, but we don't want it to be real big. Inevitably, our children move into adulthood with issues in their lives that we as parents were partly sometimes hugely responsible for, right? So it really really matters. Sometimes it's just about our priorities in life, the things that we think are so important at different points in our lives. This is so important to us, and, and so we make decisions related to that, that that aren't really good decisions, bad choices, and we set things aside that we shouldn't, and we, we let things in that we shouldn't, and, but because something is so important to us, and we're just chasing it in life, and, and it's, we reach a point where sometimes we look back and say, oh man, what a mistake that was. And we're left again with all these pieces that we're trying to figure out how do we put this back together or how do we unravel this? Have you ever been in a place where you made choice and decisions that later on you're trying to figure out how in the world do I unravel this? Sometimes the big mistake really flows out of a bunch of repeated small mistakes. Small mistakes that begin to pile up and do get all intertwined to where all of a sudden you have this huge mess and you don't know what to do with it. And so, would you like to avoid those mistakes? I don't, you guys are like, oh. <laughs> well, it'd be a mistake not to learn how to avoid these mistakes. And um, this is what we want to talk about this week and again next week. Um, it is possible to make fewer mistakes. Uh, and this really matters, not just because of our lives, I mean, and, and what we experience in life, we don't want to make mistakes, but also because if, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you really want to honor him with your life. And the things where you choose to go your own way or you didn't learn what you needed to learn in order to make a better decision, whatever, you find yourself having, diff how do I honor the Lord now? How do I fulfill the Lord's purpose for my life now because of these mistakes that I've made, many of which were sinful, some of which were not. But I made this mistake. So let's go to the Bible now, and Jesus says something that if we, we understand it will help us in this area. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 22. And, and let me say one other thing. Uh, with respect to the, the, the connection between mistakes and sin, and that's this, that it may be that you look back on your life and say, boy, the biggest mistake of my life was when I chose to commit that sin. 
and you look back and it's created huge, huge problems in your life. Matthew chapter 22. We're coming down to the end of Jesus' life here and his ministry. And we've, we see a bunch of uh, strange relationships happening. There were uh, various groups around when Jesus was ministering there, just like there are today. When you watch the news, man, you watch the news. What there's, there's the, the Democrats, and there are some who would say they're socialists, and then there are, are the Republicans and the, the mainstream Republicans, and then there are the, what they call them, the rhino Republicans. I'm not even quite sure what that is. Uh, but I've heard of them, there's the Tea Party, and, and there's all these different groups, and they all have their own agendas, and sometimes they overlap and they can work together, and sometimes they don't. The same thing was going on in Jesus' day. We had these different groups that had risen during the time that Israel had been in captivity uh, because of their sin, like we, we saw this summer when we looked at that, and then they've come back, and they're back in the land, and, but we had these different groups. Uh, one of those groups was the Pharisees, the Pharisees uh, had arisen in the, the time while the uh, Jews were in captivity because they were trying to figure out how do we keep the law when we, aren't in, when we aren't in Israel, when we aren't in the land because we can't go to the temple, we can't make the offer. How, how do we keep the law? And so the Pharisees you know, really studied the law and figured out how do we do this and that's where all their extra rules and regulations came from. But man, they knew the law inside out. They knew all of their rules in addition to it and they really outwardly tried to live by those things. And so there was that, that party. And then there were the Sadducees. Uh, and the Sadducees did not believe that there was an afterlife for us. They believed that you lived on only through your descendants. They didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in that. They believed they were God's people, but you were here and then you were gone. Uh, and so they are around, and obviously they don't get along with the Pharisees because the Pharisees really believe what God says about that, and the Sadducees had reinterpreted it not to. The Sadducees were very, very pragmatic in their approach to life because the Pharisees and the good Jewish people, when the Romans were there, in holding them down in captivity, I mean, they weren't in captivity, but they were still being ruled and oppressed. Uh, most of the Jewish people want to say, we, we want out of this. And they were trying to figure out how do we get out of this. And there was a whole bunch of people called zealots. And they were the ones who were devoted to overthrowing Rome and getting rid of Rome. So there was the zealots who were party there. Uh, but the Sadducees were much more pragmatic. They aligned themselves with Rome. And they became the intermediators. They, they connected with the Roman governors and, and kind of tried to help him with the Jewish people. And then there were the Herodians comes from Herod. They were supporters of the family of the Herods, and they wanted to get Herod in charge, and so there was that political faction. And in the, the chapter before this one we're looking at, in this chapter, we see all of these groups, I think, except for the zealots. We see them all, because they all have one thing in common. They all are opposed to Jesus, because Jesus posed a threat to each of their groups because he told the truth about the human heart. And, and so they're all in opposition to them. And so we are coming to the place that, that right before the, what we're gonna read here, the Pharisees had tried to catch Jesus in something that they could accuse him of and they had failed, all right? So here we are in chapter 22, and this is by the way, page 1139 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. I encourage you to follow along with us if you can. Verse number 23. It says, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, 
saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, let's just stop right there. This is a reference to uh, one of the laws that they had in Israel, and not just in Israel, but around the world at this time. It was just the way things were done. Having uh, heirs for your property and the land and your heritage, very, very important to them. And so the idea was that if a man got married and, and he died before he had children, that this woman would then become the wife of the, the brother and so that she could have children. And those children would be viewed as heirs of this man who had died, okay? So that his uh, line and his property and all that could be continued. So it's kind of a strange law for us, right? We wouldn't uh, <laughs> think of doing that today. Uh, but this is what the law was. And so they bring that up to him. But they bring it up for a, a, a reason, and we see it now. Verse 25, they tell him a story. Whether it's a true story or not, I don't know. But he says, now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also. And the third, even to the seventh. I don't know if you, if I was you, if I was the third or fourth brother, I'd be saying, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to do this. But anyway, so they're, they're telling this story. In verse 27, last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Now, they don't even believe in the resurrection, do they? But they, they're trying to catch Jesus in something they can accuse him of. And so they pose this problem in their minds to him. Um, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, so Jesus talking about, the, Jesus obviously believes the resurrection. He knows that. He knows there's an afterlife. He knows there's a time when the resurrection will occur. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Now, um, I wouldn't try to build way too much theology on that verse, but I would say this, that uh, marriage as we perceive of it here in our world is, will not be the same when we are risen from the dead. It doesn't mean we won't know anybody. It doesn't mean we won't have special relationships with people. I, I mean, I can't help but believe that the person that I've spent 39 years with, actually longer than that, if you consider before we're married, uh, over 40 years with and have grown so close to and, um, and she has put up with so many things for so long, I mean, that we are not going to have a close relationship in heaven, we will. And we think, oh man, it's not gonna be married, that's gonna be bad, no, no, no. Whatever God has for us is going to be better than that. So if you have a good marriage here today and you're excited about your marriage, heaven will be better than that. Hard to imagine sometimes, isn't it? Okay, but so Jesus is trying to explain, look, it's not gonna be like you're thinking. Heaven and this afterlife, and the, not just heaven, but when the kingdom is on earth, it's not going to be the same way it is now. And then he says this, he turns to the issue of the resurrection, verse 31, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, and then he quotes scripture, what God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then he says this, God is not the God of the dead, 
but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching because most people were not able to hold their own in argument with the Sadducees, because they did things like this. But Jesus brought it right down to the root issue, okay, and, and showed their, their, the fallacy of their thinking. But what I want you to see is this. Let's go back. Jesus said something along the way that if we understand this and then do something about it, will be very, very helpful to us. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. And then he tells them why they are mistaken. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God, the reality of God, the, and the truth of who God is and what he does. And we're, we're gonna talk a little bit more about that second part next week. I wanna talk to you about the first part. He says, you are mistaken. You have made a mistake because you don't know what the scripture says. And that's why we make a lot of the big mistakes we make in life, because we don't really know what God says. Now, uh, like I said, there are other issues involved, but this one is crucial, because here's the deal. You will make serious mistakes in life if you don't know what God says. All of those issues I, I mentioned earlier, if you don't know what God says about finances, you're shooting in the dark, right? You're trying to figure this out on your own and you're getting the best wisdom you can and maybe it's even, it's human wisdom and some of it might be good and some of it might, but you don't know what God says, you're gonna make bad choices, you're gonna make mistakes in your finances. In your marriage, if you don't know what God says, how that's supposed to work, both you as a, an individual becoming the right kind of person and then your role and responsibility made, you're gonna make mistakes. Parenting, you're gonna make mistakes if you don't know what God's word says. What you value is important. You're gonna value the wrong things if you don't know what God says. And, and like I said, we talked about maybe lots of little mistakes that, that compound and become a big one. If you don't know what God says about these things along the way, you're gonna make mistakes that you're gonna have a struggle with, and very many times these things can even be sinful. And, and uh, it is possible to sin without knowing that you're sinning, because there is a knowledge part to that. If you didn't know it was wrong to do something or wrong to not do something, you, you could disobey God and not even know it. And disobeying God is always a mistake. Always, always a mistake. So understand this. Uh, it, when we don't know what God's word says, uh, in the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Hosea, and, and God was giving him uh, prophecies to share with, with Israel, and one of the things he was doing is he was challenging their spiritual leaders because their spiritual leaders were not teaching the people properly. They weren't telling them what God said from his word. They weren't explaining the law and how to follow it. They weren't doing that. And his one of the challenges to them is this. In Hosea chapter four, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They are living their lives in a way that is contrary to what they're supposed to. They're involved in things they ought not be involved in. They value the wrong things because they don't know any different. You haven't taught them. And the end result is that they are being destroyed. Their lives are being destroyed. They're being scarred. They're being damaged 
because they don't know what God says. They don't know what they need to know. And this, okay, so I'm trying to be faithful here to make sure that you do know, right? Every week and in between different times and places, trying to make sure that you do know. But in our country, in churches just like ours, what we're discovering is that people don't really know the Bible very well. They know maybe a few things about it, they've heard some things, but they don't really know it. A researcher named George Barna has this to say about what they see. He said this, over the past 20 years, we have seen the nation's theological views slowly become less aligned with the Bible. Americans still revere the Bible and like to think of themselves as Bible-believing people, but the evidence suggests otherwise. Christians, and um, researching Christians, Christians have increasingly been adopting spiritual views that come from Islam, Wicca, secular humanism, the Eastern religions, and other sources. And see, that is the danger when you really don't know the scriptures, you are vulnerable to other ideas that are not consistent with what God says. You may not even know where it comes from. I would venture to say that most Christians who hold these beliefs that come from those places don't know that's where they come from. They've just heard it, it sounds good, and they made the best decision they know how to make. But if they had known what God said, if they knew what God's word said, they would have been able to recognize that, wait a minute, that, yeah, that kind of sounds good, but I'm not sure that that's really right. And already, can you see how knowing God's word can keep you from mistakes? Because it will immediately cause you to start to see and be able to evaluate other things in light of it. So very, very important. And so this is why Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, in Hosea's day, there were no printing presses. There were not a multitude of books like we have here today. There, uh, there certainly was no printed Bible that was available to the average person. Uh, they didn't have uh, internet. <laughs> They didn't have apps on their phones. They didn't have phones, right? I mean, uh, and so we can understand that, that they desperately needed their spiritual leaders to tell them what God says. But in our day and age, none of us have an excuse for not knowing what God says. Because the word of God is available to you in, from so many directions in your life. All right, so we need to know what God says in order to avoid the mistakes, whether they're ignorant mistakes, and I'm not using that as a, as a put down, whether it's mistakes because we didn't know, or if they're mistakes because we, eh, we sinned and, and shouldn't have done it. There's a certain knowledge that we have to have. We have to know what the scripture says at some level to be able to avoid those things. Because here's the, 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 the truth that you want to get. If you don't know the word, you can't do the word. True? That's just kind of a thing we all should understand. If we don't know the word, we can't 
Do the word. Because James makes it very clear that, that one of the things that God challenges us about is that we be doers of the word. And in that passage, you're saying, hey, you've heard the word. You do know the word and you're not doing it. It's not enough just to know it. You've got to do it. You need to be doers of the word. And that is awesome. And that, I mean, that's so true. And it's a great challenge to us. But the reality is, is if I don't know it, I can't do it. If you don't know it, you can't do it. And so it is crucial that we come to know what the scripture says. Let me give you an example here. I love this thing. Not with an improper love, but I love this thing. Uh, it is a one terabyte hard drive. Now, if you don't know terabytes, bits, bytes, whatever those things are. The very first computer I had that ever had a hard drive, this has, I, I, I'm not sure if the math, but I think it's, it's, it's 30,000 times as much info this will hold as the first computer I had with a hard drive. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy to think, right? But what I've noticed is, is what I did uh, recently this summer is I took all of the information that I have on my computer except things that are currently working on at the moment, and I dumped all of that information onto here. And so it's no longer in my computer. All right, so it's an analogy here for us, and here's the analogy, that I find myself sometimes, I think, oh, okay, wait, I, I created a document like that, or I wrote something about that, or I had an article saved about that, and my computer is not hooked up to this all the time. And, and so I'm looking, and I can't find it. I, say, I know I have an article like this, or I know there's something, I, and it's a piece of information I need, I need to know this so I can do what I need to do, and it's not hooked up. Well, guess what? It's just what? It's not available to me. I can think I should know, it's, I ought to know, but it isn't. But when I hook this up, all of a sudden that information becomes available to me. And when I need it, I can look, because I, you know, I can remember and find things. And, and really, so what I want you to see is that this book, in some similar ways, is like this. Here I'm going through life and I need answers to something and I, I'm trying to figure something out. I have decisions to make. Or I need to believe something or not believe. And I don't know what to do with it. If I don't have this connected, it's like not having that connected. I don't have what I need. But when I get connected to this, right, then I have available to me everything that I need to know to live a life that pleases God everything, nothing missing. And so, how important it is that we come to know this. It is crucial, or we will find ourselves, when we do that search in our minds, coming up empty, just like it could happen with our computers. So we can see we need to know the Word of God. And so besides avoiding mistakes, are there any reasons why we might want to know the Word? Well, well, consider this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says these words. He says that all Scripture, that means all whole Bible from beginning to end, all Scripture is inspired by God. Let's just stop right there. Who gave us this book? I mean, the Bible is quite clear that, that human beings wrote this book, but it also teaches, and we'll see a verse in a minute about that, but that God is the one who led them in what they wrote. 
They wrote what he wanted to write at the time in which they wrote it and the circumstances there, they wrote what he wanted. They did, and the Holy Spirit worked in there and he prevented them from writing things he didn't want written and he made sure that they wrote everything that he did want written and he used their personalities and their vocabulary and their circumstances to do it. That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? All of this given by God. This means the parts that you understand were given by God. And the parts that you don't understand were also given by God, the whole thing. How valuable is this book? And I would say to you that we don't value it the way we ought to. We really don't. We value a whole lot of other things more than we value this book. But anyway, so all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And I would say to you that when we let it do its work, we make a whole lot fewer mistakes. Because it's gonna point out those mistakes to us before we make them or after we make them and how to fix them. It's going to do that. Now, I'm gonna ask a question for you men, just for you men. Ladies, and don't prompt them. Don't give them the answer. They know this answer. How many of you men, if you've been married, haven't been married, if you can imagine being married, enjoy it when your wife corrects you? We don't enjoy it, do we? It goes against our nature, you know? It's like, I do not like it when my wife corrects me. And, and yeah, she can do it in nice ways and she can do it in not so nice ways, she's human too. But the reality is, is that I am a fool if I don't listen to what she's saying. And she may not always be right, may not always be 100% right, but more often than not, when she sees something in me that she feels compelled she needs to tell me, it would be a good idea for me to pay attention and listen. How many wives would agree with me? I'm not trying to start fights today, okay? <laughs> but the reality is, is that it, it is hard. But, and so sometimes we might feel the same way about the scriptures. I don't like to read the Bible because it shows me what's wrong. It, I, you know, show you, but the reality is that's a good thing. It is a good thing to learn the truth about yourself. It's not always a fun thing, not always a pleasant thing, but it is always a good thing because then you can actually deal with the realities in life. And if you aren't dealing with reality, you're very likely to continue making serious mistakes in life. And so the word of God will correct us. It will show us the right way. So God has given us this and it's gonna help us to know what's right and wrong, what's wise and what's unwise. But if we don't know it, we can't take advantage of that. Second Peter. He says this, and this, I referred to this a moment ago. He says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And so what we have in our word is not just some man's ideas. Man, turn on the television and watch for a while. How many different ideas do you hear? How many different perspectives do you hear? And how many of them you say, yeah, right? <laughs> right? And but it's never that way with this. This is always right. It's what God has to say. 
In Psalm 19, it describes the, the law of God, referring to the scriptures that they had at the time. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's righteous. It's more valuable than gold. It's sweeter than honey. And it warns us. And it rewards us. As we experience the reward of living by it. God's word is worth knowing. You see, when you know God's word, it'll do three things for you in your life. Knowing God's word will protect you. That's the first thing it will do. And it protects you because um, it's gonna, war- it says, it's gonna warn you about things. It's gonna tell you this is, this is not a good idea. This is dangerous. Here's the results of this. Uh, you're headed in the wrong direction. So it's gonna protect you from so many things. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, it's, it's talking, it, it uses the... Um, a uh, picture of a young man and uh, moral decisions that he has to make, decisions to avoid immorality. And it talks about that when you get wisdom and you begin choosing the right path when it comes to morality, that it's going to protect you from all sorts of big problems in your life. Okay, it's going to protect you. And this is why it says in there, don't, don't veer away. Don't go to the right or to the left. Stay on this path. It will protect you from so many things. Um, boy, I'm just trying to think in my life, there's so many areas of my life where I have not had to deal with certain kinds of temptations because I have chosen to walk on this path that the Lord has me on. And if I wasn't on that path, I would be exposed to all sorts of temptations. So it will protect you. The next thing it do is it will direct you It'll give you direction in life because as you read it, you're going to start to see, oh, I need to be doing these things and I need to be making this kind of decision and and I need to be heading in this direction. And in Psalm 119, it says, God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And as we get in God's word, he enables us to see where we are and where we're going. See, those are those two things. It's a lamp unto my what? My feet. It helps me to see where I am and a light unto my path it helps me see where I'm supposed to be going. And it gives you direction in life. Now understand, this direction isn't going to be whether you should buy a Ford or Chevy or, or an Audi. It, that isn't the kind of direction that, that we're talking about here. Now I know some of you would probably, how many of you believe that you should never buy a Ford? See, there's some hands up, see? They think that's in the Bible, but it's not, okay? That isn't the kind of direction that God is giving us, but he is going to give us, okay, you need to buy a vehicle. Well, here's some things you need to understand. First of all, you need to think, why do I need a vehicle? Well, I need a vehicle to do the things that God has given me to do, all right? So this is wise, I do need a vehicle. He says, okay, how much money have you saved for this? Uh, Well, well, how much can you afford? and, and don't buy a car because you think it's going to make you a better person. I mean, all these things are going to tell us, and, and it does provide us direction for those kinds of decisions. All right? And then the third thing it's going to do is it's going to protect you, it's going to direct you, and it's going to inject you with faith. Do you know how long I had to work to come up with a word that rhymed there? <laughs> but it will. It will inject you with faith. In, in Romans chapter 10, it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So it's hearing the word of God that stirs up in us the ability to believe God. It stirs it up for us. 
And then the word of God is living and powerful. It's alive. It's not just words. It's not just ink on a page. But when we uh, take it in and read it and ponder it, it goes in and it does a work inside of us. And, and it enables us to believe God. Man, I'm telling you, if you are struggling to make decisions that you know God wants you to make and you're struggling because you aren't quite sure you believe God, it may very well be that you haven't filled yourself up with the word enough. You need to get in the word because it will stir that and enable you to respond to God. Let me tell you my story. When I came to Christ, as 19 years old, I'd grown up in church. Um, I'd heard some very basic Bible stories. I, mean, I grew up in a church that really didn't preach the gospel. Uh, as I look back, I know there were some genuine Christians there, but there were probably people who weren't. But, so, but I learned some Bible stories. And I was in my first year of uh, the University of Missouri in Kansas City and, and wrestling with the issues of life. And, and I was going to a church. I uh, uh, had a girlfriend that was attending a church, and I started going there. And they preached the word that I'm talking about. They believed the word. And April 4th, 1975, I realized it just became so clear to me that I had never received Christ as Savior, that I was a sinner before God, that I deserved his judgment. Jesus had died for me, rose again, and that I need to place my faith in him as Savior. And I did that. Hey, I remember as clear as can be. And, and thankfully, this church, you know, said, man, you need to know the word. You need to read the word. And I did. And so I read five chapters a day for the first two years of my Christian life. And in the first two years of my Christian life, I read through the Bible three times. And that knowledge, just from going through three times, has laid a foundation that you're still benefiting from today and that I'm benefiting from today. Now, don't hear me saying I've done anything right because I read the Bible. That's not the case at all. There's all sorts of things there. But I'm trying to tell you, it was such a blessing to me, still is today. That means it's a blessing to my wife uh, and uh, my children and even my grandchildren that I had, I knew what God's word said and it enabled me to make better choices and not make those mistakes that have, I made plenty. But you guys with me, you see what I'm trying to say? I'm so much better off before that. And I've read the Bible a lot since then, a number of times since then. I've read parts of it many, many times. Uh, but I really, my regret is I, I haven't pursued it at the same pace that I did then, that first two years. But amazing. So first two years, three times through, and it's changed my life. And so I want to talk to you just the last few minutes here about how you can learn what God says in his word. You're starting off well, you're here. Okay, being here every week, hearing the word of God taught, preached, very, very valuable. But it's not enough. You need to pursue learning what God's word says on your own. And you can pursue that by signing up for a Life Source U class. As Dave mentioned, there's still time now. Get in one of those classes, learn what God says. Getting involved in a life group, uh, that's a great way too, because you're studying the word of God together. But really what I want you to see, and my, my challenge to you today is to read the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself every day. Daily Bible reading. Here's the thing. If you will read your Bible just, let me back up. If you're an average reader, or actually I'm going to go below average. The average, they say, 200 to 250 words a minute, which is really pretty slow for people who are fast readers. But so let's go with the 200 words a minute. So you're on the bottom end of average. 
I'm not insulting you, okay? But let's assume you're on the low end of average when it comes to reading speed. Three and a half minutes a day, you will read through the whole Bible once every three years. Three years from today, you will have read through the entire Bible. Will that affect what you know about what God says? Huge. How long? Three and a half minutes a day. That's all it takes. Now, if you're a little more ambitious than that and you can say, well, I'm going to read for 11 minutes a day. If you read 11 minutes a day, you will read through the Bible every year. That means October 1st next year, you will have read through the whole Bible one time. And I venture to say there's a bunch of you here today who have never read the whole Bible. There's a good number of you here today who haven't read very much of the Bible. 11 minutes a day. You can have read through the entire Bible. And if you read through the entire Bible, you will have read the Bible more than most Christians you know. That's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? And so that means five years from now, you will have read it five times. Ten years from now, you will have read through it ten times. And you will begin to have this knowledge of God's word that puts you in a position to avoid many, many major life mistakes. Whether they're sinful mistakes or not, you'll, be, you'll know what you need to know to avoid them. Now, Let's get a little more ambitious. Let's just, let's just double that. 22 minutes a day. You'll read the Bible twice a year. Next year, you'll have read through the Bible twice. I mean, it's easy to do the math, right? 10 years from now, you will have read through the Bible 20 times. You will start to have a real handle on the Word of God. I mean, because if I stood up here today and said, I want you to set a goal to read through the Bible 20 times, you'd say, are you nuts? 22 minutes a day, you can read through it twice a year, okay? Now, let's say you're behind. I mean, anybody in here would say, I think I'm behind in my Bible reading? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, let me give you really something ambitious. I mean, this is hugely ambitious, okay? Let's get a jump start and let's read the Bible in the next month. <laughs> what? <laughs> Two hours and 10 minutes at 200 words a minute. You can read the Bible in the next month. Two hours and 10 minutes. I know you say, that's crazy. I cannot find two hours in my day no matter what. Well, I understand that most of the time, but the reality is, is that probably if you decided something was important enough to you, for one month you could make adjustments to find that time. Because how much time do you spend watching television? How much news do you watch? How much time do you spend reading articles online that you don't have to read right now? It might be good, but you don't have to read. Uh, maybe you could knock off a half an hour of the time that you spend in bed, whatever. You see what I'm saying? If you really wanted to do this and work hard at it, you could probably find the time. Uh, even do a third of the time. But the idea is we could jumpstart this. And so it is crucial, crucial, crucial that you know what God says if you want to have any hope of avoiding those major life mistakes. And, and, and bigger than that, Really, don't you want to honor the Lord with your life? Don't you want to live a life that when all is said and done, Jesus Christ says, good job, good job. Don't you want to, to live your life in such a way that other people can know Christ and they don't have to go to hell because you've lived in such a way that you're able to talk with them and share the gospel? You see what's at stake here? It's not just your comfort. It's not just the problems you'll avoid, although that is nice. It's your whole purpose of your life we're talking about here. You say, well, I don't have time. I have no way to have two hours. Get that. Don't have two hours? Okay, fine. How about 22 minutes? Well, I don't know. 22 minutes, that's going to be hard. That's a busy 22. Okay, how about, uh, not 22 minutes, how about 11 minutes? Yeah, 
11 minutes, maybe, I just don't. Okay, well, not 11, it's just three and a half minutes. Three and a half minutes. Yeah, I don't know if I can do, really? Really? Maybe it's time for some priorities to change. Let me encourage you, get in God's word. Don't devalue it. Value it highly. Get in it, learn it. Not only will it help you to avoid the mistakes, not only will it uh, enable you to honor the Lord, it will also help you learn how do I deal with those mistakes that I already made? How do I find healing? How do I not continue to feel all the pain? How do I learn from this? What can I do to make it better? You're gonna learn all of those kinds of things in the Word. Well, what about when we know what God says? and we still make those mistakes. What's going on then? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, and, and it's so easy to say that in a prayer, Father. Uh, but I pray it's a reality in my life. I pray it will be a growing reality in me and in all of us here today, Lord, that we thank you for your word. We are grateful for your word because of what it means in our lives. It's how we came to even know that we could be saved. And then so much more. I pray, Father, you'd stir our hearts about this and even at some level maybe challenge us about our priorities. And, and I pray, Father, the end result is that we will yield ourselves to you and begin to learn what you have given us in your word. That we might live lives that would honor you. That would bring glory to you knowing that when we do that, man, we'll avoid a lot of those mistakes and the hurt and problems that come with it. So I pray, Father, that we will open our hearts to you about this here today, and then, now that we're a knower of this, that we will become a doer of it.